Podcasts are an independent way for podcasters like me to bring a local voice to your ears. At the Spent the Rent Podcast, we strive to raise awareness of topics that affect the often underrepresented. Our title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, offers free money management advice that can help you take control of your finances. At OregonCashflowPro.com, you will find videos to guide you towards your goal of financial freedom. For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rent podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. Welcome to the Spent the Rant podcast. I am your host, Patty Rose. My guest today for the second time is writing candidate for mayor in Eugene, Oregon, Isaiah Wagner. Isaiah, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Patty. Blessing and an honor to be back. Yeah, so this is really cool. Uh, your campaign manager, Vince Casey, shout out to him. He reached out to me and was like, hey, are you free in a couple of weeks? And it was really fortunate that he did because it was, I hadn't scheduled anything and it was like filling in like do, 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 do each week filled in really fast. And you guys caught me right in time to get this done in time for the election. So thanks for doing this. This is really cool. A lot has changed since the last time you were on, uh, you know, it's funny because we had kind of mentioned, I was joking and I was like, are you, what is your plan to run for office? And I think at that time I, I was unaware but it was kind of bouncing around in your head. So tell me what, what happened, why it just, why you decided that your slogan for your campaign is the time is now. So what made you realize that the time was now? Well, it's simply of the fact that it's Lucy or nobody. It's kind of, um, you have one name on the ballot and, any any one name on a ballot always troubles me. We should always have a second option. There should always be something else that people can turn to. And I I was I went searching for options. Um, actually, that day that we talked, and I said, "Is there anybody else out there?" Because I was really rather curious of how it all worked, what was going on, and um, I hooked up with a couple of different um, people who ran for mayor. Um, in the primaries and they were giving me great insight of how everything worked, what was going on. And they pretty much, you know, we've all figured out that it was Lucy or, or no one pretty much. It was just going to be her name. And I said, you know, well, I think that we need to have a person of color uh, step up and, 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 and run because right now uh, people, people care about, the social issues that are going on with people of colors. And I believe that I could highlight those issues. I could stand in that position and show that if I can do it, someone else can do it. And so that initially really made me want to run because of the, the factors of, of the youth looking up to something, the factors of, of people wanting hope, um, a lot of people are saying, hey, this is my first time voting because you're running. And so 
it's something that I was not more or less of why should I do it? It was why, why wouldn't I do it? So it came to that. You know, it's going to be interesting to see what you learn from this whole process. And when the next cycle comes around, uh, you know, because of timing, you know what I mean? We'll see, we'll see how this goes. So, uh, I, you know, one of the things I want to ask is how, how do you feel like in Eugene that you can help bridge the divide, you know, cause it's obvious everywhere in the country is very divided. So what is it that you can bring to the table that can help bridge that divide? Community discussion. Um, we need to have more town hall meetings. I mean, we have to come together and, and, and have a village approach. And what I mean, like I said, everybody must have a seat at the table. And that includes someone who we definitely don't agree with, someone that we do agree with, someone we partially agree with, someone who has uh, some, somebody could, can say, this is a, a crazy person with crazy ideas. We need everyone at the table. We need all of the ideas out in front of our in front of our faces to brainstorm with and then we need to be able to project that and put it out to the community and so where i bridge that gap as someone who is nonpartisan, as 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 the position is for mayor um to say look i'm willing to listen to both sides there's a lot more in common as i've stated before between republicans and democrats that um i think that we agree a lot on but like I said, it's just people want to wedge, a gr wedge that, put that wedge between each other and say, I'm on this line and I'm on this line and I'm not going to, I've drawn my line in the sand and I'm not willing to do X, Y, or Z. And it's about bringing both of those sides to the table and saying, hey, how, how can we make this work? You know, on, on, the, on the major issues that we, can, that we can take care of now. I like the idea of town halls. I like the idea, you know, this might be a lot easier post-COVID. But I like the idea maybe at a bar or a cafe or something. And this is something where your community organizing efforts are going to come into play because you can talk just like a venue would have a band. You could be like today's presentation is going to be a conversation with with activists or politicians or maybe business owners want to come and gripe and then have the mayor there, whoever that, you know, that I like that idea a lot because in the past, everything has been done where it's very kind of wonky you get these town these like uh you know there's city council meetings and whatnot people go but when it's only structured within government and not just with the people itself sometimes it gets a little wonky i i like the idea of that i can i can see that happening you know and with the capabilities today with multimedia like what we're doing uh growing and people are so much more comfortable with it i think that it's engaging and people are getting seeing that their voices can be heard on a on a local level the future is really bright when it comes to that kind of stuff. This is more than ever. There is more uh, people stepping up and learning about civics and, and using their voices, including people like myself and you, you know, that have, have like, you, we're very open about the fact that gosh, two, three years ago, I didn't know how a lot of this stuff worked. And I still every day learn massive stuff, you know? So, so yeah, that's I mean, really there's a stigma with politics, especially here, uh, well, nationwide, of course, but especially here in Eugene that I've noticed. You can go up the street and I can take a picture of our current mayor and I can say, who is this? And I guarantee you, actually, I shouldn't guarantee because I, I don't know for sure definitively, but I will bet you that you're going to get a 50-50 response. Yeah. I don't know or they do know. I got to tell you, yeah, I might not even recognize it. Now, Kitty Piercy was definitely more recognizable. A lot of people you still know. thought Kitty was still our mayor, and that's an issue. 
She kind of is, but still our mayor. But that's a whole different issue. No, no those are my words. No, so so uh, now I had mentioned. You know, I I look at a. I'm optimistic about the coming coming years as far as you know, people being involved. What would you say that Eugene looks like to you in say 20 years? 20 years, Eugene looks unaffordable, and the homeless community has grown. Even more, yeah. Even more, and we've built all of a lot of extravagant um, venues and housing and buildings around us, but they don't support fundamentally the people that are from this town. And you know, that's just the truth. People, you know, they might look at that comment and say that's so negative, but no. that's just the ugly truth of it, right? Um. There's so much beauty within what we're going to be building and having, but is it going to be benefiting and profiting for the people who are actually here? Or is it going to just profit for the people that aren't here that, that decide to move here, you know, and we'll be cleaning off their plates essentially. Hey, um, here's your new condo for two, two grand a month. And the people that are working, you know, the, the, the trash receptacles and the janitorial receptacles are from Eugene but we're taking care of our California, Washington, all the people that want to come in and grab and have our benefits that like the clean air, water, and, and all the other stuff that, that Eugene has. And so um, I see it at, at there, um, but I also see it growing and in, 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 in still sticking to some of the true values that we've had as a community. You make a really good point, you know, cause I, I work on campus and there's, I mean, Taylor's the, the that's no longer there, which is probably for good reason, but the location there has been rumors and this is only rumors. There's not nothing confirmed that that might end up becoming another high rise apartment complex right there at the, in the corner of 13, is it 13th and Alder mm-hmm. or is it Kincaid? I think it's Kincaid, Kincaid yeah. but, but so, you know, I've got I'm mixed mixed feelings about that. Now I, I understand I like the idea maybe of some businesses on ground floor. You know, I don't know. I mean, we used to have an open air policy in Eugene that there was nothing over a certain amount of floors. And right. and that's seems to have been kind of thrown out the window for people that are outside investors. And, you know, and then they bring in, we've talked about this ad nauseum on the podcast, and that's actually once we get to the topic of the issues for your campaign, affordable housing is number one. I think you address why, because we put in these beautiful, lavish buildings, and then it does nothing for the local citizens because we can't afford them, you know, on, on an average income locally. It's all international students and wealthy California kids that come up here and, and, I mean, not and not a knock on them. They bring a lot to the table. You know, the conversations I've had with the kids from the Bay Area and international students coming from China and whatnot, I've, I've learned a, a massive amount from kids from China, you know, that I've finally have, I've been able to f- person to person, like actually have conversations with extremes too. And I'm starting to learn the po- you know political world of China, which is really wild. Maybe I'll do a podcast on it. But my point being is, is that, yeah, we're priced out of those. We're straight priced out of those apartments, that 35 club road or whatever. That's just, it's it's 2000 bucks a month. It's disgusting, you know? And then what, what have they done for affordable housing to fix the people are always like, why are there so many homeless people? And it's like, well, can you afford to pay $1,400 for a one bedroom apartment? You know? And so 
Now, one of the things that you've obviously been known for is your organizing and participation in local protests. Uh, I think that you have a very good track record of nonviolence uh, there as far as with the protests. Uh, and so that's something that you've definitely been recognized for. What is it in, in, in your words that would lead to the ending to the end of the protests? You know, I mean, qualified immunity is obviously something that needs to be talked about. What do you think would lead people to be like, okay, I think our, our work here is done. Gosh, I wish there was a simple answer for that because I was having a conversation today and I said this, I said this knowing that this is the truth. We must make things easier now for when my daughter protests. And that's huge. You know, as a parent, as a black man, um, having a black daughter, she's going to have to do the same things that her dad did. She's going to have to step up and take the torch for that next generation. And so it's up to us now to make the actual changes in policies, to actual make changes in uh, governing laws uh, and policies for us. That's one thing that this movement has really lost touch inside of. When Dr. King went to Selma and they said, we're walking and we're marching, there was a purpose to this march. What was the purpose? We want to vote. So the, there has to be a purpose and sub substance to each thing that we're doing. And so I don't think like everybody says, it's a marathon. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a sprint uh, right, because right. it's a long run. And so there's nothing we can sit there and hang our hats on and say, this is what we did to me. I could give you the definitive answer for me. I think it's the justice and policing act of 2020 because what does that do? Bans chokeholds, national police registry. That means if you get fired somewhere, every police station in, in, in nationwide will know why, when, how, et cetera, um, on a national data list. So essentially you can't just jump from department to department anymore. Um, it holds police accountable when it comes to, when it comes to uh, things that are in the gray area of shooting someone in the back and X, Y, and Z. And so these are things, it's essentially giving police officers a license that could be taken away. You do bad, we take away your license, you never get licensed for that profession again. And now so- where, where, not to, where are we at with that? So that has passed the Congress, is that correct? I mean, not, yeah, because I don't think it's passed Senate, no, you know, no, so, so, because no. I mean- it's a proposed idea from Kamala Harris, yeah. um, Ron White and Cory Booker, just to name uh, a yeah. few news that are on board with it. I'm not sure. I wish that more people in the BLM movement would push for this because it, it, it outlines a lot of the stuff that we were actually in the streets fighting for. But I, it's hard for people to get under if you're saying abolish the police because it's inherently not abolishing the police. You're just giving them accountability. Right. You know what I mean? And it's right. not removing. So, so the nuance oh. matters. Yeah. It's which, which one do you want? You know, I, and we're not going to get the, we're not going to get it on this hand. So let's get them accountable on this hand. So when our younger generations have to go up and fight, 
they already have these policies in place. And it's, what can we change now? How can we keep bettering? So to me, for me, for this movement to really come to a halt, it's about making those, 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 those divots along the way to say, look, we've changed X, Y, and Z. We feel comfortable with what we change because this is going to change not only life for my, for, for black babies, but white babies, Chinese babies, Mexican babies, all the babies across the world. And so that, that's what it's about. That's what Dr. King did for us. Um, Martin, uh, uh, Malcolm X did for us. It's, we're able to hear and sit here and have this podcast. I'm able to sit here and write myself in as mayor of, of Eugene. So those things have everlasting effects. It's, making those divots to have everlasting effects for the future to make you it think easy for them to fight with police brutality the it's centered constantly around race you know do you think so i i i get the message of black lives matter i get the message the message is that no lives matter until all black or you no know, black lives matter as, as well the people that say all lives matter they say that and then the action ends like they're, they're, they're like, as long as, you know, they're, they're, they don't actually mean it because they say that, but then they don't follow up with it. Do you think that we would be more effective as a whole society if the focus was primarily on police brutality, period? You know, if we kind of took the race thing out of it now, I'm not, so, I, I, go ahead. So I like it because it's interesting off of the things that I've been kind of um, mixing around in my mind too. And here's the thing. People are going to be like, is he crazy? Or yeah, he already knew he was crazy for saying this. So I'm going to just say it. What if we took the turn? What if black people said, you know what? We'll stop saying black lives matter. We'll start saying all lives matter. Right. And then what? Right. That's what I've, I've always been curious. All If we go out there and all the black people just stop saying black lives matter. I'm not. I, this is just an idea. No, we're just talking. You know, I'll get you. We're just talking. Um, but if we all, what if we just took the stem and said, you know what? All lives matter. We want police brutality to end. To end. Would it end? Right. Would we get there? And that's what that. So that is a very interesting concept. And I like it. So here's the thing. That I've always thought that maybe we need to, maybe it needs to get to that point where we can take it out, take the, take the race factor out to get to that point. But like, you know, how black people feel and how I feel myself. You know, it's since it's been happening to us for so long that it's just, hey, we're here and we matter and Black Lives Matter. So I I, trust me, I I get I get it. And I'm only I guess this is really important to say I'm only referring to reform and policing. If the issue is police brutality, that's where we're focusing on towards anybody, towards any American citizen. But the reasoning for the black lives matter slogan, which I totally get the nuance is because as a black citizen of America, when you get pulled over, the feeling is much, much different than it is if, if you're white, you know, so that's what it means. I get that. You know, I honestly, it's kind of, to me, if you're, if you're, if you, if you don't have any money in your pockets and you're one of those people under the poverty line, we're all catching hell from the police. Sure. But yeah. I don't think that you fear for your yeah. life. Well, like I said, you, you know, it kind of depends on the area you're in. Right. You know, I'm not saying you're not, not, not even close to where people of color are, but yes, I mean, you know, to, to just to, 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 for the all lives matter people, of course, there, there are white people catching hell on the streets from police too. Right. Well, that's kind of my point about police brutality being, it's a massive problem, no matter what. Exactly. I think, that's I think what that I would, 
I think there's enough indication, though. It's funny that I'm the one making this argument. The, I think there's enough indication, though, that money isn't a great equalizer for people of color because you have people that have been pulled over, stopped for, you know, there's the gentleman that was trying to break into his own house because he locked himself out. And he's like a, I could get this wrong, but he's like a professor at Harvard or something, you know? And they had the beer, remember they had the, the, the cop had a beer with him with Obama. And I mean, it's just. Well, that's also, that's also, I mean, a great example of white, of privilege. Right. If you think about it, you know, whether I'm still a black man, whether I have a million dollars or not. Right. Well, that was proven with not, LeBron James. You know, once you become a white, you know, a white man with no money. Yeah. You catch him. Once you get this money, then, you know, you step up into that privilege zone that, you know, that, that we're not afforded to once we get money. We're not afforded the same rights that and privilege rights that you are afforded to. So legislatively, I just have always kind of, I've been thinking about that a lot. And I'm sure it sounds like that's crossed your mind as, as well, that you're thinking about effectiveness, that you're thinking about like, how can we actually make progress for everybody? And so that's just something that I, I look at that. Now that leads to me, you know, to my next question. In this time that you've gone, which was August, is when you were on my show, and it was that week that you had announced your run for your write-in campaign for mayor. What has changed and has your approach changed on what you see as the effectiveness in actually getting stuff done in local local government? What do you mean? So your approach, like it before, because now that you're starting to really see the, the inner workings of it, uh, has your approach changed the way that you would, you know, I guess, uh, you know, a lot of times people will, people say progress is slow. For example, once you actually start to unveil how the local government works, you see why, and you see that it is like nauseatingly slow. Has your approach to things changed since you, you know, since you've decided to run for mayor? Absolutely. I mean, there's so many loopholes. There's so many, there's so many hoops to jump through. There's so many things happening behind closed doors that people aren't aware of. Um, the mayor is an end all be all. I, I, I'm, this is, this isn't a dictatorship. Once I become the mayor, it's, this is a, we run on what's called a weak mayoral, um, platform here, so to speak. I don't get a vote unless it's a, you know, a tie breaking vote. Right. You know, I don't really get to say much at all when it comes to certain things like that. It's just I'm the head of it all, more or less. And so uh, learning learning that um, was something very interesting that I didn't know for a lot, a lot of the years. It, not before I started running for mayor. I knew that uh, before I started running. But like I said, it, there's so many, so many pieces to the puzzle. Right. So, to say this, so to so to speak. Oh, and so many people. I mean, you see stuff all the time where people are, you know, they don't know the difference between state law, you know, or county law, or you know, whatever. We could be here for days. Well, here's the thing, though. I'll say this: since I've been running as a write-in candidate, I've gotten an abundance of questions that it's just like, where's our local? leaders in 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 the in the political game to answer these questions why have these questions been answered before why does it take a write-in candidate for me to have to 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 put this knowledge and education out there and so we you know essentially 
I'm not sitting here tooting my own horn, but if you don't toot your own horn, sometimes you won't hear music. So we need more people like me in a sense of not that we need me, I got but it. we need more people to say, hey, I'm going to step up and, and challenge local government. I'm going to write in. I'm going to do this. You know why? Because that small community of, of your friends or your friend's family, now they say, oh, you're going to do this. We want to help you. How can we help you? And then they start learning ways to help you. Then you start networking. Then you start learning um, these different tools and everything that goes in there. And, th and then, then you start getting the questions. Can I vote because I live in Springfield? Can I do this? Can I do that? And it's just like, those are things that now I'm able to educate people. No, you, you cannot vote for me because you live in Springfield. You have to vote for it. Yada, yada, yada. And so it's like, now they're informed. So let's, let's, let's practice informing our community more, right? Yeah. Education is it's super important. One, two, three steps have never damaged or harmed anyone. Right. You bring up Springfield. And one thing I've, I've learned very much so in the last year, you know, where I've been interviewing a lot of people in Springfield, uh, candidates for city council uh, and different things. Accessibility is one thing that I've noticed with Springfield politicians. I, and I'm not saying that it's not there for Eugene politicians because for one, it's a bigger job. So there's, there's a lot more going on for two. I haven't really tried a ton, you know, to reach out to a mayor Venus or Venice or, you know, or, and that kind of stuff. But I know that the accessibility is not quite as strong. Now it'd be really difficult to reach out to the mayor of Springfield right now. Cause it doesn't exist, <laughs> but uh, so, and that's a whole different issue altogether. But, you know, accessibility. So now if, if, if elected, would you maintain an accessibility to where someone wants to message you Facebook page? If they want to email you, are you going to be available to every citizen? Absolutely not. No, absolutely not. Here, here's 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 my my reason for saying that. And we have to be we have to be honest. I don't I don't have the time to do it. I just don't. I wish I did. But here's the thing. I got a little girl at home that still wonders why dad is busy doing doing this. She doesn't understand this. She just understands that dad's not spending time with her. And then you got you also have your woman that you have to take and spend time with as well. You have a family. Yeah, you have to be a person. You know what I mean? And then you have your own personal time you have to take to yourself. I would. Once I got into my accident and was hit by that vehicle. I had probably over 500 Facebook messages right. to be honest and Facebook thought I was spam. So they, I couldn't respond to a lot of these people. And so, um, and, and I tried to go through and just individually respond to people. And it was just so tiring because then it became after you respond, question, 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 question. And then they'll, they'll just drown you with questions. And so it's like, that's why we have times like this where we speak and say, hey, if, you, if you're wondering my stances or my statements, go check out this podcast because you'll see my stances or my statements. Sure. And so I'll be open and out in the public as in, hey, your mayor's here. Come say hi. Come have some questions. And I, I'm down for that. Um, but I, I can't sit here and message everybody back on Facebook or, or X, y, X, Y, and Z Um because we just don't have enough time. That's but, an interesting take but, because, go ahead. But do I believe that, um, like I said, will, will I be open to the public? You better believe it. Will I be out there in the streets volunteering and showing my face and, and saying, look, 
hey, as the mayor of Eugene, I want everybody to come out and help out for this cause. Has it, you know, sometimes doing things, and I'm not saying that I'm him, but sometimes doing things like the way that Rick Dancer does, taking that approach, you know, I'm not saying I'm Rick Dancer, but I'm saying taking the approach of saying, hey, I'm down here, get involved by using your own um, name recognition and saying, oh, well, you know what? I know that guy. I want to help. Or the mayor's helping, asking for us to do this. I want to do that. And so it's super, that's the way I would try to get more community involvement. Hey, I'm doing a live. I'm over here. If you guys want to come check me out, or if you have a question or coming up with times, like I said, I can't sit here and message everybody back, but am I willing to say, email my team so we can get together and, and figure something out? you know, or have a big Zoom meeting to where I can have people ask me individual questions and and we can do that and set something up weekly for that. Absolutely. But like I said, individual messages, is too much time. And I think people kind of, you know, I I don't think there's very many people locally that can, that have experienced what you've experienced, where the amount of uh, feedback and questions and, and all that stuff that you've received, I think Trey Stewart, you know, as somebody that, I mean, it's insanity, the amount of feedback he gets. And I don't know how he's able to sleep at night, <laughs> you know, Trey, Trey, everybody should probably get a, a signature from him now because I'm just where he's going to take this boop troop. I think somebody's going to find him online somewhere and fall in love with them. Like universal studios is like, Oh, we love what you're doing. And here's, and and I could see that happening for Trey, and I hope it does because he yeah, he's a good guy. And but just in general, I mean, I think that you know people don't understand what it's like to go from relatively unknown, you know, and in small circles known, but not in a big scale, to where your inbox is flooded, where it's impossible to respond to all of them. So yeah, that's an interesting take. Kind of not the answer I was expecting, but actually, I totally understand it. You I also know? got a lot of people saying, "Hey, you you said you make yourself available." And yeah, 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 yeah. And it's just like, holy moly. And people also, you know, with some hatred stuff, like, hey, you say, but I have, and it's just, I'm not trying to come out. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't engage with, I don't engage with trolls because the only goal is to bring me down. And it's like, look, if you don't like what I'm doing, make a counter protest, make your own damn podcast. I don't care. I don't, I don't have time. So now let's go over some of the issues. Uh, One of the things about, your campaign is that you've created a beautifully crafted website. So IsaiahWagner.com. Uh, I don't know who was behind that, but they were doing Thomas, Thomas, Yuda. Thomas Yuda. Oh yeah. my gosh. It's phenomenal. You know, the video <laughs> that is great. I recommend, I don't even care vote. You know, you may be listening to this or watching this and, and live in Springfield and you can't vote for you. I really recommend you go check out the website though, because it was really beautifully put together, thorough, and I mean, it's great presentation and I, I think it's, it's pretty awesome. So on your yeah, website, Thomas, he did an amazing job. I appreciate you so much. And I, and I have so much love for you. Thomas Huda real quick, Thomas Huda ran for mayor mm-hmm. and uh, he came in second, but he didn't, they didn't push enough to get uh, the incumbent did receive over the 51%. So she's the only name on the ballot, which is why we're here today. So that, so that she's not the only option, but Thomas Huda was you know ran a great campaign and is just an awesome person so uh, yeah so um and you know we'll have him back on the podcast for sure so let's go over some of the issues uh we had talked about it a little bit before uh affordable housing and i think we addressed that but 
what are some ways that you could see, um, you know, moving forward for Eugene, how we can make housing more affordable? It's getting together and cutting some of this red tape down. Um, uh, people want to build in their own homes as well and, and add mother-in-law suites so right. they can move people into their, to their own areas. I think that's extremely important. Um, really, it's working together with, with the city to say, where can we put the homes at that are going to be affordable that, because you know, it's, you got the community of we don't want this here because of property value, and you know, you got there's so many players in the real estate game, right? And so it's like it's I NIMBYism. Said, it's yeah, not people together. And here's the thing: if you're a venture capitalist, you probably want to stay away from me because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not worried about you making a quick buck or a dollar or whatever you want to make out of our out of our citizens and. um out of our Eugene citizens here. I'm more worried about how can we house these people and how can we make it affordable and what, what can we do? And so it's, you know, it's, it's, it's building upward and working with communities like the St. Bits of the Paul to get more of their community houses to be implemented more places. And that right. goes throughout Springfield as well. Right. I'm um, working with the, with the city as well up over there. There's a really good podcast. So Yimbyism and nimbyism yimby is yes in my backyard which is kind of a response to nimbyism which is what you're talking about people that are like you know i don't want that house to be put there i don't want second unit dwellings in my area at lowers property values that's called nimby not in my backyard and there's a really good local podcast called the yimbyist by daniel ivy that anybody could look up and check out and he does great stuff uh in depth and you know the more and more you get involved with local government, the more you're going to see these resources like people like him and Thomas Fiorelli, who I've had on my show, who's passionate about how to work towards affordable housing. And, you know, these people who some of them are, are elected people, some of them are not. Some of them should be. Some of them, like you said, they don't have they don't want to put the time there because they can they're more productive with focusing on one issue at a time. You know, so those people are great resources. So if you're listening to this, the Yimbyist podcast, I've had him as a guest, gosh, a year and a half ago now, but it was a great one. So now the next issue, because we've got a lot to go through here, is fair taxation. Tell me a little bit about what that means to you and what, you know, what changes could be made to make more of a fair taxation. So I'll be honest. I am not the taxpayer. I am definitely... I'm the furthest thing away from knowing exactly how tax is set up. And I think that's the way the government wants it to be. Right. Um, and so really it's unpacking a lot of the taxes that we have within the, within the community now and seeing what kind of makes sense in, in going to the city council and saying, you know, where are we, where are we with this, with, with, with our taxation on our citizens and how is this working? And where can we kind of cut back and where do we need to uh, reapply? Essentially, there's not much I can do for taxation. That was one of those big leaps that I was hoping for maybe in a few years. Once, if I am the mayor, I can kind of just try to galvanize people together, have an idea and kind of get on the um, governor's list and kind of. Sure. Well, I think education. So to, to me, 
taxation here is, is, is it's really messed up for the working class. It's figuring out what's going to work for the working class. And I have, I have no control over that as a mayor here, to, to be honest. There's, there's not much I can do when it comes to um, fair taxation on people's paychecks. And that's where I really want to make the hit at. But that's something that I would, um, like I said, we would come up with a proposal. We would show everybody in Lane County what we were pro proposing. And we would bring that into fruition by working with uh, Kate Brown. Right. So it's, that, that's what it's, that's what it's really about. Uh, like I said, there's not a really robust idea that I have in place because I don't know what's going to work for everyone at this particular moment in time, just because of the way that our state taxation is set up. You know, we, we get it from, 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 from our income initially, from essentially, not from, uh, not from sales. So, 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 and property taxes are high in Oregon too. So, so the war on drugs is the next issue. The war on drugs, uh, you know, in Lane County and nationwide has been a big problem. Now on our ballot this time, we have measure 110. And I'd like to get your input on that. Uh, I talked about it a little yes. bit. What's that vote? Yes. On 110. Yeah. So I'm going to be talking about that next week as well with Chris Wig. Um, I, I'm not positive. I, if I remember right, he's opposed to it and we'll find out why. And he has, you know, done his homework on these kind of things. So I always yeah. am grateful for him to come on these things. But, but uh, yeah, I, love I, I don't. I need to do a little bit more work on on reading up on this one. I haven't made my decision yet. And, but as far in, in general, separate from the measure, you know, what to you? How would you describe uh, why it's uh, on your website the list of the war on drugs in Lane County? Why that was one of your key issues? So the, why that's one of our key issues is because working the job I work for year after year after year, one of my one of my tasks was to look at Lane County mugshots. I had to look at there every single day, and I, I kid you not, I, I was looking at it probably for four years straight, just looking at mugshots. And the one thing that I noticed, I won't go into details of why I had to do this because it was, you know, it's for, for an old job and I worked in a legal department. Anywho, what I kept continuously noticing, it was the same people as a revolving door for the same type of crimes that we were housing these people in jail for. And it was just, does anyone is anyone taking notice that we've arrested this guy for 15 times right so it's just not a year for the same thing so what is ending the war on drugs what ending the war on drugs is hey i can't do anything for you federally if if you go and you steal something and you got a baggie of something on you you're gonna go to jail and they're gonna hit you twice because you also got the substance on you. i can't do anything for you when it comes to that but if you're shooting up in an alleyway and the police get called, that's something where I say, look, we don't need to jail this. We don't need to house this person in jail. How can we end the war on drugs? We get cahoots to come in and we get those people in. We re-educate our community. We stop preaching 911 to folks and we start preaching a new number to folks when it comes to getting people the help they need that are on the streets that are su suffering from drug addiction. and and, and all these other different addictions. And so it's not criminalizing it by 
you know, coming through and, and busting them up, giving them charges and giving them no way out because you, most of these people who do drugs, everybody wants to have a, a, a great sentiment of they went to prison, they got re- rehabilitated through prison, and now they're back in the streets as normal uh, citizens. And that's just not the case. They're back on the streets <clears throat> as people who are now homeless, right. now nowhere to turn to. And society looks down at them, you know, and it's just, why are you homeless? And why are you this? And why are you that? And there's so many things messed up in this world that we're, that we, that we're accustomed to. Right. That's one of the biggest issues societally real quick that I see. And I I mentioned it with my interview with Doyle Canning as well is that, you know, I'm pretty open about having a history of uh, alcohol abuse and, and drug addiction as well. And so when you see these comments and I don't know what, the mayor does about this. I guess it leads by example, but when you see the comments in the local news section about maybe a George Floyd, for example, where when he was killed, people like, well, he was a crackhead. And it's like, really? So that means that you get to execute him. I mean, we need to change the narrative from looking at people that are a victim of a mental health situation into looking at them like they're a lost cause. I mean, I know so many people, myself included, I've been sober for four years now and my life is infinitely better, but there was a point seven years ago, six, seven years ago, before I really even wanted to change. Cause it took me a while to make that change. It didn't just happen overnight where I was a scumbag, you know, and I did things that I totally regret and, and I can't even begin to tell you. So when those people say that, when they're like, well, whatever the cop had was justified in, in killing him because, you know, he was this addict or whatever. To me, I take that personally offensive because I'm like, well, so do you think that I should have been killed? Look where I'm at today. Right. You know, and that's the thing that the war on drugs has broken and it's never worked. And it's definitely dis- disproportionately hurt people of color. And how many people, you know, that are abusing drugs today, but are able to function? You know, sure. there's a lot of prescription abusers out there that are able to function right in front of our very eyes. Right. You know? And that's by design people, as well. And so people really need to, 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 to get out of this whole mindset and, and start, with, start with love. Love first. Love first figure out the root of the problem and let's see how we can fix it. And I know that's easier said than done. And I know that's kind of a make believe statement, but it is really that simple when it comes down to that. And no, so I, think compassion. That I think compassion, compassion, me, and empathy. I think that Eugene could really, really be an innovator when it comes to ending the war on drugs by fully funding cahoots, but yeah. not only fully funding cahoots, fully funding crisis response teams. That means new roads. That means uh, women's space. That means all these great organizations that we have that are willing to do the hard work that most people aren't willing to do, fully funding them and making sure we can find the root of the issue before it begins. Yeah. You know, that's what I'm saying. That's like fully funding new roads. Let's get these kids that are at risk. Let's get them the proper uh, programs and facilities. And so that was another big thing of mine was that what I've learned from a lot of different um, drug abusers that I've had in my own family was like, look, you know, there's times that I, I wanted to feel like a person. I wanted to go out there and just take a jog or go to the gym or anything. And I couldn't just go to a normal gym or anything like that. And most of these facilities you go to, they're so, it's so like a council shit. Every time I go there, I'm sitting down and I'm being counseled and talked to. It's not like I'm going and I'm lifting weights and I'm talking to other buddies and it's just like, those are things that are important. A rec center for people who are, are 
drug abusers are are important. Some people want to take a walk outside and and run on a track and what whatever. So it's we should have a big facility that can house folks, you know, um, that has a love first approach. Yeah, I've heard of this. I've heard of this talk about a day center for houseless and maybe addicted, you know, individuals. So it's a great approach. I mean, it's literally just having compassion. Now, my concern is we had mentioned about taxation. We talked about, yeah, yeah, it's difficult. So those are great conversations to have. And I'd like to actually focus with you on that more a different time where we could only focus on that one issue on drugs and things like that. So I'll have you back on and we'll talk about that more at length. But I think that you're, I like where you're going with that. I like the, I like where your head is spinning on that a little bit and, and just thinking about ways that we can humanize people in a dis, you know, in a dysfunctional situation. Like we can look at them as being human beings again. And, and cause I'm walking proof that, you know, you can take your life back. And I've been blessed that I've had support system behind me and, and whatnot that I never lost that, you know, because it was always there. I just had to utilize it kind of thing, but it it wasn't always, it didn't always seem apparent. So anyway, we do got to move on because we got quite a bit. Police reform is the next one. And I think we've already addressed it enough because I think war on drugs kind of ties in with it. And I think ad nauseum, the work you've done with uh, the black lives matter movement, uh, you know, qualified immunity is something that needs to happen. You already addressed that. So I think that we covered it. Also, people can go to your website and find out more details. You had mentioned cahoots and new roads and these different organizations that can step up. And, you know, the defund the police slogan that I think kind of falls short sometimes, that's what we're talking about when we say that. It's like we need to reappropriate funds so that we're actually making it more efficient. So your website, I'm sure. Oh some are and some aren't. You know, some are some 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 people when they say defund the police, they they ultimately mean strip all the funds from the sure. Police. I mean, and there. So when, I, I just wanted to make sure that that is clear because there are people out there. Well, I you know, so yes, you we know that you're out there. Yes, we understand that, and, the, and there is that side that we mean what we mean what we just said. Sure, and there's people out there that we're trying to work at least right now. Maybe it's naive. We're trying to work within the system, you know, and the system is flawed. Sure. But I think that it's going to be more effective to not tear it all down and start from scratch because that's going to be a tall order that's going to cause a lot of life lost. <laughs> you know, so so we'll see about all that. The homeless community was another issue on your website. Again, I think we've addressed this ad nauseum. I think everybody knows the number one uh, cause of homelessness is is the lack of affordable housing. You know, we already addressed that. So, again, there's resources on your website. to learn awesome. Just what would you like on, to say on that? Just to touch on homelessness, um, my biggest thing was, as I stated before, having a church-based um, center like the mission is great, but it's not for everyone. And we need to address that. We need to get a facility or facilities that are going to welcome you as you come. And I'm not saying that the mission doesn't. Uh, this isn't an anti-mission statement no. or a pro-mission. You know, actually, I'm pro-mission because I do believe the work that they're doing is great and incredible. But like, like I'm saying, more facilities to help out, more with a love approach. This is what we can do. This is what we're going to offer you, and we're going to treat you like a human. And you know, once you get, you know, we we have people within that community. Oh, hey, you know, this might be a great organization for you because. You seem like you would like to, you know, come in touch with the Lord and that's excellent. And we would like to shift you over here. And so that's what it's about too. 
It's okay. getting the people in the right in the right areas as well. Because sometimes the mission might have somebody who is just completely out of their hands who they can't deal with. And so it's we don't want them kicked back on the street. Bring them over here. Right. It's you not know? it's not a so, one size fits all approach. That's exactly. the thing with it. Exactly. That, yes. And I've I've thought that for many years about the mission. And again, uh I'm not an overly religious individual, but that being said, I have uh, an affinity for people of faith and I have a ton of respect for people of faith. But of people of all faiths, that's the thing right. that, and I'm to, I'm totally right there with you, that we need to just think outside the box. It's not a one size fits all approach. It's just not going to work. People think that you can just pray it away, and it's not that simple. Now, the mission I think is super effective. In my experiences in Eugene, there I've I've met some of the most religious people I've ever met happen to be homeless, you know, and so that approach really worked for some people. Yeah, It's kind of the same thing with recovery, or I mean, at least go hand in hand, yeah. that, you know, AA is cloaked in religion. You know, a lot of times people don't realize that, that it's, it's, it's very religious. So for some people, including myself, that was a really difficult thing, because I couldn't go that path. I had to find another way to do it my own way. Because I wasn't gonna replace one addiction with another that's the way i looked at it so that's a whole different issue but so there's some things i wanted to address that are difficult you know one of the things with you being very public and being in the public eye is that you're not without your critics you know and one of the things that i keep seeing a common thread that i keep seeing coming up in somewhat of the activist community in lane county is calls of misogyny and so there's been some there's a video that surfaced and that circulated of you at a rally making a comment that was deemed by a lot of people to be sexist now personally i didn't see it that way but that doesn't mean that it's invalid the people's feelings on it so i wanted you to address this right. and, and it's also important to part, part, point out and i will point this out for the for the viewers that will say this of course, he's not going to take it that way because he is a white male sure. and, and not a black woman. And no, we for sure. I think that it's that I'm pretty confident in my in my ability to separate myself and my my at least in my own personal experience. I'm pretty confident in my ability to think through other people's perspectives. You know, that's one of the things that makes you an empathetic person is that it's not always about me. So I'm able to do it. But yes, that will be the criticism of me on this as well. But the reality is I watched it and I'm like, ah, you know, trying to pick it apart. I mean, everybody looks at every little video that you see. And one of the things that I've learned, not to answer the question for you, but one of the things that I've learned is, is that sometimes when a video happens, the sting of the actual comment is so minor, so fast and blurp, you know, it's done. But then when it's reviewed over and over again, every time you watch it, it gets, it gives it more weight. So I just want you to kind of address that situation and what would you be your response to the critics that have cried misogyny? I would say um, misogyny is a stretch. It's a it's a bit unfair um, uh, to to say that to say I'm a, a chauvinistic or anything like that. I would just because here's the thing: you have to have a track record for me. Um, I don't just look at the surface of somebody saying one thing one time uh, and and instantly say, oh, you know, there it is. I I knew it. Um, I, it has to, it takes a track record and, uh, I look at the principles and the standards and what they've kind of shown and how they've 
been senseless since anything that people say is risky. And so, like I've said before to a lot of people, we've all had friends, family, and I've always always considered like, hey, I'm that little brother. I just misspoke. I'm sorry. And so, uh, but it's not that easy. It's really not that easy. And so, I did I did some research, and that's why I wanted to, wanted to tell people is this: look, this is a learning experience for a lot of us. A lot of people don't know what they're doing unless you call it out. So say this, say, look, I never make those statements, right? And you all love me, right? right? And so you never would have said Isaiah this and this and that. But now that Isaiah said something, now you now you have this preconceived notion of X, Y, or Z. But also, it also takes us our mistakes so we can grow from them. So we can learn to say, you know what? There's an issue with this. And let me find out why why there's an issue with this. And then let me, and so that's, I played the video back. I've seen it myself a hundred times because I said it, I know exactly what I said word for word. Um, I listened to my older sister patients. I've listened to multiple women I've had in my life that I've considered to be mother figures. I've listened to friends. I've listened to black males that were downright disgusted with the things I had to say. And um after after all of was said and done, um, what stuck with me the most was I looked at a couple of videos on YouTube of of black women who who talked about this topic that I had no idea really about. And it just led me to stay this. Um, one, I'm sorry. Actually, no, no, no. I'm not sorry because if I'm sorry, then you're sorry. I apologize because I was in the wrong. I pepper, I, I perpetuated, I perpetuated the sexualization of women during a BLM protest on my speech that trivialized, trivialized women based off of their sex. And that is something that is wrong. That's also something as me, as a male, learning about male privilege, that that's a real thing and that that exists, um, that we can't just say these things because these things do cause pain. They do cause suffering. They do, it makes a lot of women sit back and say, I've been fighting to be looked at as more than a piece of meat as more than a piece of this is my this is my butt and this is why you care about me and at the time like i said it doesn't matter what my intentions were because no one's intending to come out there and hurt anybody it's the fact that i hurt people right so i apologize to those people i hurt i'm sorry that i did that you know going back to the sorry statement but that that i said these things that could really cause some damage and really set back. And that's what I mean. It's about educating people. If I'm out there educating people and saying that we, we you know, you got to love women based off of their body, it's sending the wrong message, uh, especially as me as a black man who's supposed to be protecting black women, um, you know, just, just, just as a survival instinct. Um, and so, like I said, I apologize. I shouldn't have made those statements. I understand where those statements come from. Um, I also wasn't raised by by a mother. My mother passed away. 
when you were young, um, yeah. And I'm not trying to make any type of excuses about anything, but I'm saying there's more that meets the eye of why these statements were made. And I understand why they were wrong. And here's the thing. If I didn't understand why they were wrong, if I didn't care to apologize, then that's somebody that you can definitely say, you know what? They're, they're, they're not worth my time. But someone that's sitting here and genuinely saying, you know what? I did hurt people and that's not okay based off of the words that I chose. Um, that's someone I think that I should garner another look over because we've yeah. all made mistakes. And that's what I want to talk about. You know, it's all about forgiveness. You know, if somebody was like, oh, hey, Patty's doing great on his podcast, but he was a drunk alcoholic idiot two years ago. It's just nobody wants it. You know, it's like, why can we ever grow? Are we not allowed to grow? And that's why I try to tell people, you don't want to know me in sixth grade. I was just as stupid as the other sixth graders. Sure. So. No, it's, it's, how we, it's how we come back from the statements that we make and it's what we show. And that's what I'm saying. My track record after that, you, you can't find anything from that point. Sure. You have to, you have to, to all the people that are my critics, you'll have to keep going back to that statement to find something wrong sure. because you're not going to find anything wrong. Well, and it's, a te- it's a teachable moment, you know, and, and, and these things happen. I think that one of the national examples it's a different situation altogether, but with Kamala Harris at the vice presidential debate where people are like, she's given the side eye and people are like, Oh, she's a bitch. And I'm like, you can't say shit like that. You know why? Because it has to be equal. And you talk about, you know, this is something I've learned about what equity really means is that with marginalized people, women or people of color is, is that if you're not going to treat them the same, then you're doing an injustice. You know, that's really what it comes down to. So when somebody, a woman is expected to be perfect, to not have, she has to smile the right amount. She has to look the certain part. It's painful when it doesn't come, it comes more natural to some women maybe to be that accepted kind. And so that's a really difficult thing. Now, I think the message gets blurred when we see women uh, giving each other emboldening compliments and whatnot. Oh girl, look at that. You know, whatever else they will criticize or compliment each other's figure. So it's a difficult thing to navigate because we have to find the time and a place. And I think that that's what probably that lesson was learned is that that was not the place. It's all, it's all, it's all about education. The thing Absolutely. is that here, here, this, this is the bottom line. The bottom line is this. No woman deserves to ever be sexualized unless they choose to do it. Themselves. Sure. Right. And that's something that I've learned and I can, and I will project that onto any of the youth that I run into. I will project that onto if I have a son, you know, and I also project that to my daughter as well. Absolutely. A man should, should speak of you like this. And right. so, you know. I also think it's a great that's, thing. That's Sometimes in parenting, one of the, well, as a child, from a child's perspective, one of the most devastating things is when you realize that your parent isn't perfect, you know. But, uh, I mean, your experience personally losing a parent at a such a young age, I can't imagine. But with having a daughter, you know that sometimes you have to be honest and show vulnerabilities to be an effective parent and show that, like, I was wrong. I, I, I lost my cool or, you know, or whatever it was. And that's character, in my opinion. So I don't know. This is a really difficult thing. And I don't want to I don't. I, I'm glad we addressed it. You know, it was something that I felt like I should at least ask because I know that in the, if I didn't address it in the comments, people would be like, what about this? You know? So I'm like, well, let's just address it then. We don't have a ton of time. So, uh, you know, Isaiah Wagner, I really appreciate you. I really appreciate what you're doing. I, I want to ask you one more thing. Uh, 
this is a tall order. Nobody's going to act like it's not, you know, this is an, it's insurmountable. Almost nothing is going to, I'm not going to say that it's an impossible thing, but to, to win a write-in campaign against an incumbent who already in the primary received over 50% of the vote is very difficult. So I guess my question is, I'm not going to assume, I hate to say it, like just assume the outcome, but if you fall short of winning, what would you have, what would have to happen for you to consider this success or this campaign a success? So to me, it's already been a success and I'll tell you why. All the people that have personally wrote me, and there's a lot of them that says, this is the first time I'm voting because there's a candidate as in yourself that was worthy for me to vote for. And you know what? I'm going to take the time to fill out those other margins to vote. So to me, you know, I don't know if, I don't know if these people are Democrat or Republican, but I'm hoping we can get more votes that aren't going towards Trump, you know, and it, it, it like I said, it takes people my age to get more younger voters interested, yes. you know, just vote, you know, and so that, that's success. But so and then and then uh, based on, you know, that that's my that's where I feel successful. And but also going into it, I think that uh, what would make me extremely happy is, you know, seeing a big turnout as a, in, in the writing column, seeing that we've actually made some noise and the people are saying, you know what, we want something different and something new. And so I think that, that that's pretty much what's going to garner the success uh, that, that I'm looking for. I hope uh, it gets on- reported. I hope it gets reported because I've seen in many cases where you won't see the number. Oh, really? Uh, and I mean, you know, I was kind of, 2016, this is a much different thing when it comes to a write-in campaign. But in 2016, there was a lot of people that cast their vote for Bernie Sanders. Yeah. And uh, now the difference being that there was two people. I'm one of them as well, but there was two people on that ballot. So there's a difference there because there was going to be, it affects the winner. So this time, I mean, if people write you in and, and you don't get enough, it's not, it's not like you're winning the election for another person. There's no one that she's running against. So right. this is a different situation, but I was looking for the news when they reported it and it was never there. I never saw the number, you know, that, that he got. And I, I just wonder how we will go about, I'm going to try to find out, maybe I'll contact Lane County elections, the office and see, I mean, how do we get the number? You know, it's going to, it's not going to be right away because Oregon, we may not know the outcome of, of some of these races on November 3rd, you know, early voting has really been helpful as far as, I mean, 18 million people have voted nationwide already. And that's insane. The turnout has been massive. I guess this is a really good opportunity for me to say that if you got your ballot and you filled it out, you can go to the Dropbox locations, uh, you know, Google Lane County Dropbox locations, and there's a plethora of access to where you can drop your ballot off if you don't trust the mail. If you do want to mail it, the postage is paid. You don't have to pay anything. And the, and the last day to get it in the mail is the 27th. But you should definitely be voting before that. I know a lot of people already have. I got my ballots. I'm probably going to do it after I get off this interview with you. So, you know, I appreciate you, Isaiah. I think I'm, I'm building a friendship with you. We've never, the only times we've spoke is, is when you've been on my podcast. And COVID is a big reason for that. Yeah. But down the road, I, I see a relationship building a friendship with you and I'm, I'm proud of you. I mean, I'm proud of you, of you for putting yourself out there and for doing this. And like you had said before, maybe if a young, young man or, or young boy or girl of color sees you and it's like, wait, if he can do this, I could do this, you know, kind of thing. And that's, a, that's been the hope 
in politics, like when when Obama was elected, I think a lot of people were like, maybe it is possible. Yeah. You know, and I mean, there's a couple of times that uh, I, I was wearing a suit and I had to go speak at a couple of different things. And I've walked by uh, a couple of kids of color. This is a true story. This is a fabricated story. And um, say, who are you? What, what, what do you do? I said, I'm, I'm running for mayor. And their face goes from this to like that. And that means more than anything else. I'm sorry, I get a little emotional about this because it really, it, that to me is, uh, that's the win. That's what I want. I want them to be inspired. I want them to look at look at like, well, he's a brown guy and he's able to, to do something on the scale of a, of a white, of a white predominant scale that's been been taken over for so long. And we've never really even had a candidate here like this to do yeah. this. And I know that it's a huge jump, but like I said, it's showing those youth that it's possible, you know, and even if people think that I'm not the right one to do it, I'm still trying to do it. No, exactly. And, and if you think I'm not the right one, go find the right one. Right. You know? Or if you're the right one, run. You know, the, I just have to say that I'm impressed. I'm, I I feel like you've learned so much since August, which is crazy since the last time I interviewed you. And, and this was kind of a, something that was thought about, but it wasn't something that was taken too serious. But you've really hit the ground running with it. And I've impressed, I'm impressed talking to you today to see where the progress has taken you. It'll be interesting to see after this election, depending on how it goes, what the future holds for you, because I do hope that you will, if it doesn't, if you're unsuccessful in this run, I do hope that you run on the ballot next election, you know, and so I, I honestly, I'm not sure if we're going to look at a council position, a city council position, or if we're going to look at the 4J school board next. Um, yeah. but, but, but there's, there's some things that we, we are looking into the long run of, of, of how we're going to do this. And I'm also, uh, going back to school myself because I, I've something that I've always wanted to get an education and people say it's a wrong reason, but it, to me, it's the right reason. So I don't care. There's no wrong reason to get an education. I, I, I want my grandmother to know I got my diploma. Yeah. And a lot of people, well, you should do it for yourself. No, I'm doing it for my grandmother. It, it should sure. because, because of who she is and what she's went through as a black woman. And I know that education was just stripped from our people for so long. And so it means so much for our people to be educated. And so, and that's why I want to do it. You know, and plus, of course, I'm doing it for myself as well. You sure. know, that's why, otherwise I wouldn't be out there. But, you know, Isaiah Wagner, it's great to talk to you. IsaiahWagner.com. Uh, your website is, is phenomenal. Thomas Huda, let's give him a shout out for, for the work that he put into that. It's, it's pretty awesome. Well, thanks again for doing this. Uh, I really appreciate you. I'm going to end this with a song. Uh, I just chose this song because local MC Mente just made a, a new solo release of a video. And I'll put the link to the video in the show notes as well. But it's called Snacks by Mente. And it's just a fun little hip hop song. So uh, thanks again for doing this. It's an honor to have you. Um, you first up? time. Ah, all right. Yeah, it's genuine. I appreciate you. So yeah, we're going to end this with a song. This is Mente with Snacks. <laughs> I just went. Check it out. Since last we met, I've caught my breath, collected my thoughts, and yes, I'm hot, I'm fresh, I cannot stress enough, I'm not to be messed with, I'm off, I'm set, and fuck anyone who says shit, live every day, smoking bomb, bumping beats, need 
props from the homies, so I always bring the heat. Gotta run a couple rhymes on my day is not complete. A shark staying sharp, so you never could compete. Randomly ripped rhythms, my flow is all business. Candidly spit wisdom, now can I get a witness? Represent hella hard, I'm going the distance. Always coming through with the sickness. On some rap shit, fuck yeah, bring it, bring it back. For my old school heads, like, where the fuck you at? I don't listen to new shit, I'm good on all of that. Yo, that's not hip hop, fool, that's rap. Hmm? Cheeto on your head. <laughs> 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 